And we, we are so thankful for the trip. You know, in Ireland, according to reported statistics that we heard, 4,000 born-again believers in Ireland, the southern, southern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. That is the size of a small megachurch in Southern California. And it's just wonderful to, to get alongside of, of these things where, you know, you, sometimes you mention, oh, I'm going on a mission trip to Europe. It's like, what? Oh, are you kidding me? Well, let me tell you, it's, it's outside of the Muslim world. It's the hardest missions field in the world. They are completely, absolutely in a post-Christian world over there in Western Europe. So please pray as we continue to minister uh, with them over there. So James, chapter 3. Anyone need a Bible? You can raise your hand. James, chapter 3. Verse 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may, be, may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for how direct your word is, and we need to hear this word this morning, Lord. Please open up our ears, Lord, to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So James... Going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through James. Why don't we start off actually in our lesson this morning with the very last verse of chapter 2. It says, verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we talked a couple weeks ago about what a saving faith is, a saving faith, the kind of faith that through which a man or woman can enter into an everlasting relationship with God, the kind of faith that opens up the very gates of heaven for you, the kind of faith through which, according to Jesus, a man or woman passes from death to life. 
Bible says that every one of us come out of our mother's womb spiritually dead. Why? Because of the rebellious sin nature we inherited from Adam and Eve. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. It says, and you, Jesus, made alive... So it was Jesus that made you alive, is what the verse is saying, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible speaks before a relationship with Jesus. We're dead as it pertains to our relationship with God. Jesus died for your sins. He was resurrected to make you alive, to give you life. The Bible says this life uh, uh, you receive by faith. We receive Life with God by faith, a saving faith. You're not saved by doing good things or by how righteous you are. The Bible says you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, faith in what he did, faith in that he is alive and knocking at the door of your heart, wanting a relationship with you. However, the faith must be a saving faith, a saving faith. Not all faith is a saving faith. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says this. This is a sobering verse. Not all of you who call me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who is above. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James himself says a similar thing. He says, Don't try to tell me any kind of faith will get you into heaven. Even demons have faith. They're not going to heaven. That's my translation of the verse. James is deeply troubled by men and women who run around saying they have faith, but their lives don't demonstrate a life of faith. James chapter 2, verse 14. We read this a couple weeks ago says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can, can faith save him? Verse 16 says, and one who says, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed uh, for the body. What does it profit? In other words, what, how does that faith profit? In verse 18, it says, but someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Uh, What he is saying there is if faith is genuine, you got to stop saying and you got to start doing. Back up your talk with a walk. Back up your yak, 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 yak with a track record. That's what James is saying. So again, verse 26 of that same chapter, last verse of chapter 2, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If faith is genuine, if it's a genuine saving faith, the kind of faith that opens up the doors of heaven for you, the Bible says that it will manifest itself with works. Good works. Why is that? 
Because when someone by faith enters into a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says they receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just doesn't live inside of you idly. It's hanging out. Inactive. The Holy Spirit drives a believer in Christ to a life which reflects Christ. So with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can't help but eventually manifest good works. That's what James is saying. Well, James, what kind of good works? James has a lot to say about that subject. In chapter 3, he discusses a particular good work. There is a work, a good work, that will become manifest in the life of someone who has a genuine saving faith, and that good work has to do with the use of the tongue. I'm going to spend a little while on that this morning. This is where James goes in chapter 3. He says this, if you have a saving faith, number one, over time, you will develop self-control regarding when you use it, your tongue, and how much you say and when you do. But also, number two, you will have godly wisdom what you say when you use it, your tongue. So, be, so James begins actually with this in verse chapter 3. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. It's a wonderful calling to be a teacher, a pastor. Wonderful calling. However, God takes what is said about his word really, really seriously. what is said from the pulpit, what is said in a Sunday school class, what is said in a home Bible study about his word. Now, if you say something and someone else is running around twisting what you said, does that make you happy? Of course not. But when it has to do with God and the words are about eternal life, about heaven and hell, about judgment and righteousness. Oh man, does God take that really, really seriously? In God's economy, he's saying teachers don't represent my word. So again, it says, well, let's just pick up in verse two. It says, for we all stumble in many things. So speaking of eternal life, if you're sitting in this room thinking you will get into heaven by trying to convince God that you deserve to go to heaven because you've led a good life, you're kidding yourself. The Bible says no one has led a, a life good enough to go to heaven. Here in verse 2 of chapter 3, James says we, he includes himself, he is an apostle. We know that from Galatians 1.19. He says we all stumble in many things. Oh, how we need the blood of Christ to cover our sins. So he says, for we all stumble in many things, but if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. 
Now, when he says perfect there, he doesn't mean sinless. Rather, he means complete or mature. And he says here, the person who is able to control their tongue is able to bridle the whole body. body. And by that, he means, you know, there's so much of our life is affected by what we say, by what comes out of our mouth so much. Our, our family, our, our relationships, the performance at our job, the, our service to the Lord, our witness for Christ, our marriages, so affected by what we say, what comes out of our mouth, even our health is affected. You want to bring a ton of stress and anxiety with all the unhealthy consequences that come with it, you just take a couple days and say whatever comes across your mind. Okay, and you just watch how your body reacts physically to the mess you get yourself into. So the words that come out of your mouth affect the whole life, or as James says in verse 2, the whole body. So verse 3 says this, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. With this little thing, and we were on a farm in Ireland, and, and, and they had a few horses. And one of these horses, oh, man, it was like this amazing stallion just packed with muscle. And what he's saying here is a little bit controls that, that horse. Verse 4, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. That's an amazing thing, right? Fierce winds, gigantic ship. Small rudder, our tongue, guides our life just like that rudder does. Verse 5, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Oh, how many churches have been destroyed by the fire of the tongue. How many relationships Marriages have been crushed by the fire of the tongue. How many uh, families have been, have been destroyed? And, and that's the reference here to fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Why the reference to hell? Because Satan is behind so much damage that happens as a result of what we say. He's behind so much of it. James says it sets the, the tongue sets on fire, uh, uh, is set on fire by hell. John chapter 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. And, and oh, how he loves to use you and me as the mouthpiece of his lies. Satan stirring up lies, twisting the truth, convincing us to speak without all the facts, causing us to sp- sometimes just to speak at all. The Bible has a lot to say about that subject. Do we need to mo- open our mouths at all? I love this verse, Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, 
Sin is not absent. You say, well, I'm just a talker. That's how God made me. Look, you've got to argue with the word of God. A fool's voice is known by his many words. Next one. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. I love that one. You say, well, I don't know about anyone else, but I speak what's on my mind. (laughs) Well, the Bible has a word to describe you. One word, actually. Fool. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silence and discerning if he holds his tongue. Chuck Smith uses a variation of that one. Better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're a fool than open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> Proverbs seventeen twenty seven: He who has knowledge spares his words. Proverbs ten nineteen: He who restrains his tongue is wise. Now, is there anyone here that's you know? I violated every single one of these on the way to church this morning. Uh, well, yeah, th- it's a problem, and that's why James is, is devoting almost an entire uh, chapter to it. Isn't it interesting the Lord put our tongue in a cage? It's like this wild animal living in there. It gets out and it tears everyone off. He gives us a, a cage with a gate on it so we can shut it. Lest the wild animal get out. Interesting, he gives us a cage with a gate that we can lock up when we are not supposed to say something. He gives us eyelids so we can shut our eyes when we are not supposed to see something. What about the ears? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have ear lids? <laughs> you know, you know you, someone's like driving you crazy and, you're, and, and you just shut your ear lids. It's like off, yeah, this sort of deal. Can you imagine how hard that would be for parents? Are you listening to me? Hey, hey, did you close your ear lids? You know, this type of thing. But, well, you know, what the, the Bible says, James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And he constructed our bodies to help us out with obeying that verse. He put our tongue in a cage. Sometimes we have to just shut the gates on it. He also gave us two ears and one tongue. Can you imagine if he gave us two tongues and one ear? I mean, wow. Thank you, Lord. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. But of course, we can also do damage not only by how much we say, by, but by what we say. Verse 7, chapter 3. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So not only can we do damage by how much we say, but what we say. Proverbs 12:18 There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. I have that cut that one out and put it up on, on one of my doorposts at home. 
Psalm 22:13 like lions they open their jaws against me roaring and tearing into their prey. See the tongue is like a wild animal. And in Proverbs 15:4 cruel words crush your spirit. So we grow up hearing Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Excuse me? You know, over the years, the pastors here at Calvary Chapel have done, we've done a lot of counseling. Do you know how much counseling that we've done over the years? What percentage? Can in one way or another be tied directly to a wound or a scar that was inflicted by what someone said. And many times sp- something said 10, 20, even 30 or 40 years ago. Words hurt. The Bible says Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You going to get that one up? Maybe not. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We, we have, uh, there, there we have it, death. The power of death is in our tongue. Verse 9 of James 3. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. That word similitude means image. So we curse men who have been made in the image of God. So you're going to think I'm just this fuddy-duddy preacher, but I have to say this. Calling someone a jerk, okay, whether it's to their face or you're inside your car and no one's listening, is really serious stuff in God's economy. Why? Because that man or woman is made in the image of God. He or she is God's handiwork. And, and, and James is, is, is bringing this up, this point here. Verse 10, let's continue. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, this thing ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and, and, and bitter from the same opening? So you go to a spring of water, you're not going to, you know, take one cup of it and, ah, this is really nice, and the next, oh, pfft, what's this? That just doesn't happen, nor is a person who has been born again by the Spirit of God supposed to do that. The Bible says as born-again Christians, we are supposed to be a fountain of fresh spring water. Verse 12, kind of fig tree, my brethren. Bear olives or a grapevine bear figs. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So, oh, Brothers and sisters, listen, at Calvary Chapel in the city, let us be different. Let us be 
distinct. Let the words that come out of our mouth be as fresh spring water. Now let's look for a second at the other side of the coin. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Proverbs 15.4 On her tongue is the law of kindness. Now that's in Proverbs 31 which is describing the virtuous woman, the godly woman. On her tongue is the law of kindness. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle tongue can break a bone. In other words, there's no reason to put our boxing gloves on or worse, throw them off like in a hockey match. A gentle tongue can break a bone. So, While it is true that the tongue has potential for great destruction, I cannot possibly overstate the enormous potential it has for good, for healing, for restoration, for life. Oh, how many times I have been lifted out of the emotional muck and mire by some of you here, sitting in this room, just with your Christ-centered Spirit-directed words. Oh, the potential you have to completely bring someone out of the spiritual gutter by what you say. Psalm 119.28 My soul melts with heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. And and then I love this one in Proverbs. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So you have the potential to do with your words, your Christ-centered, spirit-directed words, and I really mean this. You have the potential to do what a psychiatrist with Pads and pads of prescription pages of drugs and hundreds of hours of therapy. You have the ability to do with your words what they can't do over a career. And I really mean that. Not that there's never a place for medication, but, uh, but the words, the Bible says that, that, that the word of God is living and active. The word of a spirit-filled brother or sister, the words, are living and active. I, I think of, you know, again, that verse, death and power, uh, are, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I just think of worship. As I was worshiping this mor- morning, the spoken word of worship, not that through classical, all you classical music fans, it can't happen through classical music without words, but... The words, the spoken words, how they can just bring life. I remember being in Haiti a couple years ago, and oh, man, I I just was so sick. I just, I don't know why. You know, I go down there, 90-degree weather, and I get this awful cold. Someone, Mike or someone came up to me, what's what's up with this? A cold in Haiti? Uh, But I I was just, um, uh, 
I was just so discouraged. I was in the the, the church, which was really a very large house with real big la- uh, rafters, and I was just in such suffering and discouragement. There's a lot of spiritual warfare there down in Haiti, and I just couldn't be lower. And then I heard the worship team. They began to practice. And it was just like I had been transferred into heaven. They actually sang that song. We sang this um, this morning, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. And I remember hearing, you are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace that our hearts are longing for. And I I mean, my whole person, my whole body physically transformed by words. Jane says, out of the same mouth, verse 10, proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And then Romans 10, 15 says this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That we have the privilege To share with someone and tell them, you no longer have to live in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. He died to save you from that darkness. He was resurrected to give you life. The power of those words, the privilege of being able to utter them. Oh, the power of the tongue, death and life. The the proverb says, is in the power of the tongue. Now, remember our context here. James is saying, look, if you're running around, yakking about, telling everyone you have uh, uh, faith in Jesus Christ, but you have no control over your tongue, that's a big problem. I got to tell you, there are a few things that discourage me more than to be sort of hanging out with someone who has been a Christian for whatever, a long time, but they have little control over their tongue. It's just really, that that can be discouraging. And you know, I'm not up here pointing my fingers at others. I still fail in this area. Sometimes I feel like I spent half my life apologizing for stupid things uh, that have come out of my mouth. But here's the deal. If you're saved... James is saying, if you have a genuine saving faith, you're going to have a desire for change in this area of your life. If you don't, you've got to really seriously go before the Lord and, and, and ask the Lord, Lord, am I really saved? Do I really have a saving faith? Because the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, forms a desire in us for words that build people up Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt word come out of, your, out of your mouth, but words that edify, meaning words that build up. I'm not exaggerating when I say, a half a dozen times a day at least, I stop myself because I say, this thing I know I'm about to say is not building up. It's tearing down. At least a half a dozen times a day, that happens to me. 
And you know, you, you may be hearing this and wow, this is, this is discouraging. I've wrestled so much in this area. You know what Spurgeon says? Dead men don't wrestle. What do you mean by that? If you're dead, if you haven't been saved, you wouldn't be wrestling about this subject. You wouldn't be all upset at yourself. Here's the good news. Romans 8.37 says this. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. Let's repeat that. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. One more time, everybody. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. I was just reading in my devotional this morning these words. In whatever area we are weak and most beset by our corrupt nature, we we may yet become strong enough through grace and come off as conquerors. And that's what the Bible teaches. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. Yes, it's it's discouraging being around someone who has been a Christian for a long time and they've not mastered their tongue, particularly when that Christian is myself. But you know what is so encouraging? Being around someone who's walked with the Lord for a long time, who has mastered. They've mastered it. You know, the main reason for our trip to Ireland was to encourage the men and women of a, of a church plant there. It's a, it's a very small church. They're just beginning here, uh, sort of in a new phase. But one of the leaders of the church is um, a man named Billy. Billy's been walking with the Lord for 51 years. And let me tell you, it's worth the price of the ticket to just go over there and hang out with this guy. He is just the real deal. Kevin, who is my friend who helped start the church there, has been telling me for the last year, Steve, you just wait. He's hanging out with this guy. It's going to be so encouraging. And it was. Why? He was a man of few words. When he spoke, his words were just dripping with wisdom. And he was just saturated with the word of God. Just just flowed right out of him. Because he was in it all the time. And, and, you know, he was also, uh, uh, he wasn't this guy, this sage who just sat in the corner and waited to have people come to him and, hey, can you tell me, master, what? No, no, it wasn't like that. Hey, this guy was sweeping floors. He was driving people around, teaching the word of God, letting people hang out at his home. He was living, breathing proof of the truth of God's word. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And, and you know, as I reflected on, on, on all of this, why is it that you have one man here who clearly, clearly has been more than a conqueror in this area, but... You see others fail so miserably in this area. You know, I I loved Greg's sermon last week. If you weren't here, I would purchase it. If you were here, I I really recommend getting it and listening to it again a couple times because it was real powerful. 
the life of Jacob, who at the very end of his life was leaning on his cane, his staff, because God had deliberately bruised his hip or permanently bruised his hip. And it says he was worshiping God. And as Greg went through what Jacob went through, here's what was clear about Jacob's life. He was willing to be broken by the Lord to the very end. The Bible says that God is the potter. We are the clay. He forms us. He fashions us. And then when things aren't okay, he breaks us and forms us and fashions us again. Here's what happens with so many of us. We get tired of the breaking. And so we get off the potter's wheel. Billy, this fellow in Ireland, had clearly been a man who stayed on the potter's wheel. Calvary Chapel in the city, I want to encourage you, don't get off the potter's wheel. You will have no mastery of your tongue if you do. Stay on the potter's wheel. Allow the Lord to do that breaking in your life. What did we read about in the first few verses of the book of James? Let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you experience trials and that it may develop patience and then let patience have its perfect work. What do we do? We get impatient with the trial, with the circumstances that the Lord has us in, and we run off the potter's wheel. And then we wonder why we yak, 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 and yak, and when we speak, we speak words of poison. Get back on the potter's wheel. It's never too late. That's the wonderful thing about grace. We can always start with a blank slate because Jesus has paid it all. The Bible says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so stay on the, 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 the potter's wheel. And, you know, ultimately, we shouldn't be fixing our eyes on other people on, or on, on, on man or on Billy or, or anyone else other than who? Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, we are told, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith. You want an example of the man who had utter, total, complete control of his tongue? It was him. Can you imagine? Between the hours of, of, of about midnight to nine in the morning, he went from court to court to court, beaten with fists and rods, his beard plucked out, uh, beaten with a whip, a, wo- a Roman flagellum, which was a four, Roman, uh, cord, uh, four leather cords with pieces of glass in it, opened up his back, exposed the flesh to the open air. That back went up right up against a, a cross. His hands were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed to as well. And how many times did you hear Jesus lash out with his tongue. Not once. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Open up his word. 
expose his word to your heart. And the Bible says, as you do that day by day, you will be transformed into his likeness. And part of that is what? A mastery over the tongue. So, wow, what a, what a word of exhortation from, from James. I want to close with this. Jesus, when he was talking about the righteousness that was required to get into heaven, when he was talking about the, how good you had to be in order to get into heaven, he actually gave a description. Did you know that? In the Sermon on the Mount and otherwise? If you want to be, try to be good enough to get into heaven, this is what you do. And it, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is about that very thing. One of the things that he said in the book of Matthew was, was this. He says, you will be judged for every careless word that you make. I'd be thinking I'm in some trouble, man, for that one. The gospel is called the good news for what reason? Because the blood of Jesus can cover all of that. So we have two options. Either we get before the Lord, because the Bible says every person is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and, and we tell them, and we try to justify our entire life, and we try to explain every careless word we made before the Lord. Or we can just say one simple thing, and that is, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Those are the two choices. That's a pretty obvious choice to me. And yet, a good part of the world rejects that free gift of salvation every day. If you have never entered into a relationship with the Lord by faith, the Bible says it's an easy thing to do, as easy as a prayer of faith. You could, we'll have some people up here at the front, here in front of the pulpit. They're going to be with you here. And if you'd like to pray that prayer of faith with them, please come up. The Bible says the blood of Jesus covers all our sin. In the, in the meantime, this week, let's all just be encouraged that in Christ, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be more than conquerors. doesn't happen overnight. But we want to be people who are words. In our words, there's not death there. We don't want to be working death into our conversation, in our relationship. We want to be working life into them by our words. Okay, we'll pick up in verse 13 next week. Let's close in prayer if the worship team could come up. Father, we just thank you for this strong, this strong word through James written here by the Holy Spirit for our benefit, for our building up, Lord. And I just want to pray for anybody in this room, Lord, who uh, is just you hear this, and the standard is so high, they're under condemnation, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would open up their hearts to grace. The fact that the blood of Jesus does cover 
every careless word that we've made, every sin, every wrongdoing, every stumbling. Oh, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Your word says, Lord, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Father, I just pray for help myself this week. We need help. Your word says you are our help. We need help in this area, Lord. We thank you that you promise it. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for grace. Lord, we want to stay on the potter's wheel. We, want, we don't want to run away. We want, but we need grace for when you're breaking, Lord, when you're fashioning us, when you're molding us. We, 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 want, we need grace, your grace, your help to, to stay there, to let patience do its perfect work in our life, Lord. 